Are you, like pretty much every parent of younger kids I know, looking for a smart entertainment option for your kids? Designed for kids ages six and up, Mysteries About True Histories, also known as Math, How Smart Is That?, is a weekly podcast full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and humor. And while kids will enjoy the stories anchored around characters like troublesome trolls, pirate queens, and mysterious aunts, adults can benefit too. I admittedly delighted in learning a thing or two about Pythagoras and triangles in one episode. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code-breaking, pattern-solving, and more, all weaving humor in with education to make learning fun. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I have a wonderful guest for you today. Dr. Robin Silverman is a child and teen development specialist and a podcaster. She runs How to Talk to Kids About Anything, a fabulous podcast whose description should be pretty evident from the title. And she is the author of the forthcoming book of the same title, How to Talk to Kids About Anything, Tips, Scripts, Stories, and Steps to Make Even the Toughest Conversations Easier. Hello, Robin. How are you? I'm so good. And this is fun to have a little switch, even though I interviewed you on my podcast now. Isn't it fun to be on on the other side of the mic? It is. It is actually really fun. Although I just, it's just fun to be with my friends and my colleagues and have great conversation. Indeed, indeed. Well, I'm so grateful you're here. I know book launch is always a little bit chaotic and I love your book, as you know. And I just wanted to start before I jump into questions by reading something from the intro, you wrote, I think my interest in conversations came not from my career, but from an ugly experience in fifth grade. I was bullied and ostracized, and none of the key adults in my life knew quite what to say to me or the other kids involved. As you can imagine, feeling like you're on your own at age 10, even when you're surrounded by adults who want to help you, can feel devastating. I decided I wanted to become the adult I needed when I was a child, the one who not only knew what to say, but could also help other key adults know what to do and say when their kids needed them the most. Robin, as someone who has walked a similar path, first I wanted to say thank you. And I also wanted to take a moment to express a little grace and appreciation for little Robin. That's what Mm -hmm. I picked that up from a friend of mine. Whenever I'm in a moment of like reflecting on my past and my past struggling self, I refer to her as little Christine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah. And I just want to say that the act of creating something amazing and positive 
as a result of adversity is really great. Mm. So thank you for doing that. And I hope that you felt supported and wonderful in this process of writing this book. Yeah, it did. And I mean, I will say that looking back at that fifth grade year, I I put it in still as one of the worst years of my life. Like Mm. it's still, it's still up there. And I went through four miscarriages. Like I've had many other things that have happened in my life as an adult. My father passed away, you know, things that were really crappy. But that year was still among the worst years of my life. So when I look back at it, it's still pretty vivid. And this book is, it's it's kind of the next level of cathartic because mm-hmm. when you aren't just explaining what happened, but actually can do something about it and help the next person to really put your hand back and pull the next people up in some way. I think you're right. You're also pulling up little Robin. You're still looking back at yourself and you're helping others. And for me, that was the best part of this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you and I share quite a lot of similarities in that, in our approach Mm -hmm. to life. I feel like I understood you a little bit better, even having read that intro passage um, earlier when I was reading the book for the first time. So I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you. So I want to start, I'm going to dive right in because I have a bunch of questions for you. And I know we have limited time. And I wanted to start really broad because your book is just jam packed with all sorts of wonderful advice and information. But let's start 101. And I want to know what is one of your best communication tips to become a parent that your kid actually wants to come to with questions. Um, In some of my lanes of work, we've called that becoming an askable parent. So I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear your thoughts on that. It's one of those things where people think to themselves, well, I have to know all the answers. And it turns out you really don't. You do need to be the best listener. And I think that writing a book called How to Talk to Kids About Anything you need to step back and go, oh, actually, it's like how to listen to kids in Mm -hmm. many ways. Because when you are somebody who knows when advice is needed and when a supportive hand on the shoulder is needed, when just holding space and allowing your child to talk is needed, that's when you do become what you're saying, that askable parent, somebody who's non-judgmental, who is ready to hear what your child is saying without an agenda, without the, today we're going to talk about sex and come out with all of the things that you want to say. So instead of coming with an agenda, like here's how to talk to kids about sex. I need all of the answers right in my head and I'm just going to throw it onto this person. You need to be somebody who can drop that agenda and just be somebody who is there so that your child is the person who comes to you and says, somebody in my class said that they sent a nude or somebody asked me to do this and I don't know how to handle it. And then you can just open up that conversation. So I would say number one, being a good listener is the best way to talk to kids about anything. 
I love that. And I think it's so ironic too. One of the things I often think about in parenting and conversations with kids is that we actually, if we just did less, (laughs) we could make our lives a lot easier, you know, Mm -hmm. versus all the pressure we put on ourselves to have all the answers. So I love that. Now, one of the things I really loved in your book is you shared a bunch of kid facing examples of how identity can either hold you back or push you forward. So I would love for you to share about why it's important to help kids think about their identity, because I think that can feel a little overwhelming and maybe broad and, I don't know, a lot of pressure for parents. So thinking about identity and then also maybe like a short tactic or a fun exercise to help parents figure out how to do that and support their kids in their identity development. Mm. When I was younger, I had a script in my head. I am stupid. I would say that to myself so much. My brothers were very bright. They were in the special program. I was not. And I always compared myself to them. So some of your parents are probably listening to this and going, yeah, I I really can relate to that. Or I've heard my child say things like that. Catch those I ams. Those I ams are so specific to your child in the way that they're thinking. I am dumb. I am ugly. I am lazy. Sometimes the hard part is realizing that those I ams can come from loved people around you. It can come from us as parents. When we say things like, oh, this is my athletic child and this Mm. is my reader that's going to say something. It can even be very positive seeming and saying things like, oh, here's my smart one. And it sounds like you're doing them a favor, but then they take on whatever identity you're providing. And if they don't think they can rise to the occasion, even with that example of this is my smart one, you may get backlash where that child is not trying anymore. Because if I don't try, then I won't be judged for not being able to do it or know it Mm. right off the bat. Okay. So it can be very nuanced. So I would say that the beginning space to start that identity is with those listening for those I ams. And I've used that this, when you asked me for how can we maybe do it in a fun way, I've gone into Girl Scout troops. I've gone into schools and had kids do art projects where they can draw themselves right in the middle of the page and then either write words around it of all their I ams, or they can cut them out from magazines. They can use different types of mediums to create a beautiful art project. And then that is a stepping stone for discussing what we say in our heads and how powerful it can be because we're not just saying it, our ears continue to hear it. And when it comes from us, it feels very truthful. Mm, mm. You know, one of my favorite things about doing this podcast and interviewing guests is I always learn a little bit about how to do something better and, Mm -hmm. or a lot Mm -hmm. better. So 
Thank you. I can I relate mean, to that with mine too. I feel like I'm constantly learning. It's like a master class. So I get what you're saying here. And isn't that so much fun? It's what so a, much fun. Privilege. And my mind is I'm trying not to like catalog all the different ways I, I might have contributed to uh, external identity construction. But anyway, uh, grace always. Um, always. So th- that's wonderful. And I love the idea of translating it into sort of a creative artistic project that is really, really cool. Okay, Robin, I have a bunch more questions for you. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode— Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin, but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera, which I take every morning. Rituals products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, and Hyacera is clinically proven to reduce fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. They also engage in industry-leading sustainability standards and are a female-founded B Corp, which means they hold themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. Want to join me in hydrating from the inside out? Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com edit for 25% off. Hello, friends. We are back with the wonderful Dr. Robin Silverman. I have so many more questions for you, Robin. So I feel like there is a whole swath of people who probably eye roll over all the attention that has been brought to feelings and social and emotional learning. I would love for you to share why it is so crucial to help kids develop these skills and continue to work on them. We've heard over and over that kids are having problems with depression, with anxiety, that there are suicidal attempts, that children are doing harmful things to their bodies in order to deal with the world around them and their own inner feelings that have been stuffed down or avoided. Talking about feelings and I definitely get the eye roll, can actually help your child cope with what is going on inside of them so that they are not 
hurting themselves or doing risky behaviors to cope with those feelings. Mm -hmm. So let's Mm -hmm. give them the language. Let's talk to them about the different feelings. Let them know the difference between being sad and being devastated. Let them be able to express to you the feeling of being worried versus really scared or completely frightened out of their minds. Let them have the different language. And then how do we deal with those feelings? When we teach them, here's how I deal with my feelings. Here's how Aunt Sally deals with her feelings. Here are some different ways other people deal with their feelings. What do you think would work for you? And let's try them. And when your child is really young, of course, you're not going to be maybe having these intellectual conversations with them. But if you see in my book, like I talk about creating a mad box where your child has all these things at the ready that are already set in a specific spot so that when they're starting to go up Anger Mountain, as we call it in the book (laughs) from uh, Dr. Lynn Kenny, then they can head it off before they get to the peak and run over. They can actually deal with it by reading, snuggling, singing, by drumming, whatever works for them. And that's that's the wonderful thing, because we don't want our children to be stuffing those feelings down and setting that setting them up for a world that says you can't express those feelings. And then they come out in really harmful ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. uh, Listeners know that I am part of former team emotional robot and it took a lot of work and unwinding and which is still in process of course but uh i definitely recommend feelings feelings are good talking about them is good <laughs> um another topic mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is under fire diversity and inclusion and it feels i'm mm-hmm. sure you're feeling this and seeing this with parent circles you're talking to and kids is that these conversations are more crucial than ever, given some very terrifying things happening in different states. So your chapter on this is jam-packed with definitions, examples, scripts, language flips, so many things. But what would you say at a really broad level to a parent who is overwhelmed by how to show up when their lived experience is more centralized on the power spectrum? And I, by that, I mean white, able-bodied, cis. Mm. I mean, you're describing me in many ways, uh, and I I will admit fully that this chapter I had to write then put away, write then put away. Mm-hmm. I avoided it. I blocked it out. I wrote an entire version of the chapter, sent it to my writing coach uh, to look at it, and she's like, "I don't even know who this is. Who wrote this? Like, mm. I, I don't because I was being so clinical about it." It was, it's, it's such a, an important chapter. And yet while I was writing it, I felt like, how can I write this? And then my writing coach said this to me, she said, listen, when you're writing this chapter, you are writing it as who you are and who you want to influence, which are people like you who don't know what to do. And I'm like, oh, right. Like, I'm not trying to educate you on you because you have your own experience. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to educate and help people who are coming from that position. They're white, they're cisgender, and they're 
they're living their life in a much more privileged position. So uh, here's what I would say about that is don't be embarrassed by who you are. Understand that you have great influence on your child who is many in many cases living a, living the same type of life that you are, that they're walking the world in that privileged state and they need to know it and not avoid the the confrontation that can come up within your own head. So I would say, for example, a lot of kids learn from their parents, and this was the way it was, right? Don't see color, you know. Don't don't look at anybody who looks different from you in any way. If they're expressing their gender in a different way, just avoid talking about it and just keep on walking, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Don't see them. And that is what I don't want people to see. Like, I want you to see people and a different lived experience. And by walking by, by avoiding the conversation, you're saying to your child, this is a secret and it's supposed to be hush, hush. We should not talk about this. It is part of who that person is. And understanding that they have a different lived experience makes you a better person mm-hmm. because you're acknowledging who they are. And what more do we want than for people to see us for who we are? And then we can create the friendships, the relationships and move forward. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And I really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing in how challenging it was to write mm-hmm. that chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's, that's really valuable. And I, I will give a nod here to your, your coach. Cause I think it really is important. Like the perspective that you have to share and all of the learnings that you've done. And I mean, I think it's, it's so important. So thank you for all the care that you took with that chapter. I could feel it. I could feel it. You're welcome. And it was also understanding that I could quote people like you and Nefertiti Austin and, Uh, Julie Lithcott Hames and people who have different lived experiences than I do. I Mm -hmm. wanted to do that with all the studies and with all the people who can say, here's been my experience and here's what you need to know from my experience, not from my experience, but from their experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. wonderful. And as you know, I'm a huge fan of the, or member of the Julie and Nefertiti fan clubs (laughs) respectively. So I'm so glad you mentioned them. Now, I have an interesting question for you. It turns out recently, I've been chatting a lot with people on Instagram about end-of-life matters (laughs) Mm. because I actually had a conversation, a very fascinating one with my teen recently about cremation and caskets because, hey, I'm very into destigmatizing these things. Mm -hmm. And actually, I had a listener who recently asked, and here's the quote, are you religious? If no, what do you tell kids about the afterlife and what happens after you die? So I know you talk about, or in your book, you cover difficult topics, including death and things like that. So how would you recommend that parents handle conversation with kids about afterlife, knowing, of course, that this will differ a lot depending on the age of the kid? Mm. Death is one of those topics that feel extremely uncomfortable when talking to kids because you just want them to be happy and go lucky and not have to worry about those things. But I love the idea that you're trying to destigmatize that. 
and talk about it openly. And we can talk about these things openly. From the very beginning, when a a child is walking on the sidewalk and says, why is that bug not moving? When the plant dies, when the flower is wilted, that's when we start talking about death so that it doesn't feel as edgy. And then when somebody dies in the in the neighborhood or the family, you have a leg to stand on. When it comes to what happens in the afterlife, I prefer to throw those questions back to the child and ask, like, what do you think mm-hmm. happens after we die? Especially when you're not grounded in a specific religious interpretation of what happens. But even if you are, you could say, in our religion, we believe that this happens. Or when I was growing up, I believed that this happens. But we all don't really know. What do you think? That opens up the conversation. Instead of providing a very specific agenda, you are asking the child to come up with what they think. And it may be far-fetched. It may feel right on. It may be completely in line with what you think, and it may not be. But that's what opens those conversations. And it doesn't need to be judgmental. I think I come back as a unicorn. Well, wouldn't that be fun? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be so much fun? Or I think I go up to heaven and I'll see grandma and grandpa again. Oh, I hope that's true because I'd love to see them again too. It doesn't need to be correct because who knows what is correct Mm -hmm. and that's okay. I adore this and I feel like I want to pull this out into a separate little mini edit for my mini edit series because Mm -hmm. it's just, it's so smart. I mean, for many reasons, but one of them being that I feel like so often asking kids for their thoughts on something, whether it's how to do something tactical or a bigger question like this is so important, not only to help them learn to articulate their thoughts and and put them out there and have a voice, but also because kids have really interesting ideas. So (laughs) I've just always loved this tactic in order to figure out what's going on in their heads. But I love the way you framed this so much. Mm, mm, Thank you. No, I think it's really important to hear their perspective on so many topics, but certainly one that is so elusive and doesn't have a specific answer across the board. There's not going to be agreement. And so their interpretation can be wild and wonderful, or it can feel very specific to your religion, but all of it's okay. Yeah, that is so great. Okay, Robin, I have a couple more questions for you. We're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, friends, we are back. With the incredible Robin Silverman. This is like the biggest mood boost for me, Robin. So thank you. <laughs> I'm okay. having such a good time. I really I am. I mean, it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, it's very limited time. But then you're like, I wish it wasn't. Like, when can we have lunch? Seriously, seriously. Well, let's dive into one of my very favorite topics. One of your chapters is about talking to kids about mistakes and failure. I just love this topic so much. I would love to hear your advice for parents who are struggling with this because they are bound up in their own perfectionism or worry or judgment or whatever. Mm. Isn't that really hard? And believe me, I'm part of that club from the past. It's, it's actually first, just like Alcoholics Anonymous, like realizing that you are part of that club and that you have been doing it. Just recognizing that is such an important first step. If you are a perfectionist and you feel like good is not good enough, then saying that to yourself and then realizing when words come out of your mouth that say, is this really the best you can do? Or saying to yourself, you know, oh, she didn't get an A, but so-and-so got an A, and I I think that's not good enough. You got to know it. You got to know it when it's happening. That way, if it slides out, and listen, we make mistakes constantly. Parenting is not about being perfect. It's you, if you say something that you go, there's some perfectionism on myself. Oh, I can't, I can't hand this in yet. Oh, I can't do this yet. Oh, I can't go to the gym yet because I'm not perfect enough as I am, or I have to go over and over and over. Then once you realize that you are, it slides out and you've made the mistake, you can say something about it. Mm -hmm. And I love the tactic. This is what I do is otherizing it. So remember we just talked about in the beginning, you said little Christine, Mm -hmm. little Christine is definitely still part of you, but it's, it's another entity. We can do the same thing when it comes to that perfectionistic gnome in our lives, this 
gremlin that comes out and tells us that we're not good enough. I often like to call it by name, especially if that gremlin is somebody you knew from the past, like your ice skating coach in fourth grade that told you it wasn't good enough and you keep hearing it again if it was a parent or another teacher. And you can call it, oh, there you are, Mrs. Green. Uh, I I hear what you're saying, that this is not good enough, but I'm not going to fall for it. Mm-hmm. And I actually think it is good enough. And not only that, I want to teach my kid that it's good enough. So I'm, I hear you, but I'm not going to let you lead. And when we can do that, when we otherize it, we take it off of ourselves, and we realize that's not my voice. That's somebody else's. And you can talk to it and you can push it away. You can set it aside. So first of all, that would be what I would say we can do to deal with that perfectionistic nature. And then I would also say that we're watching it in our kids and being able to say to them, I hear from you right now, these words that you're saying are actually words that I've said before. It's not good enough. I suck at this. And what I want you to see is the evidence. Look at what you've done. This is really notable right here, what you've done, the the reading that you've done, the uh, writing that you've done. I'm looking at what you've, you've, you've accomplished and realizing how far you've come. Do you remember what you did last year at this time when it came to this? So by showing them the evidence and comparing themselves to themselves Mm. instead of anybody else, that sets them up to realize that progress takes time and that it's very individual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. It's just beautiful. I love it so much. And I otherizing, I don't think I've ever, I I'm not sure I had really solidified that term in my head. So I love that. Thank you. Mm, mm. I have a quick question for you because I've been thinking a lot about growth mindset lately. I mean, it's on my mind a lot and has been recently for some specific reasons, but because this comes up in your book, I would love for you to define for listeners what a fixed versus a growth mindset is and why it's important to shift to growth as we think about our kids and raising them. Mm. So a fixed mindset is really what it says. It's fixed. It says that whatever happened is how it's going to happen. Whatever smartness I have is all I'm going to get. There's no room for progress and there's no room for process. It just sticks there. A growth mindset acknowledges that we have the ability to expand our minds. We have the ability to learn. We have the ability to to progress over a period of time athletically, academically, in all the ways that develop us as kids and as adults. So somebody with a growth mindset is going to look at a new activity in a very different way than somebody with a fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. Somebody with a fixed mindset would be like, I'm not going to be able to do that well. I've never been able to do that well. It's too hard. Uh, I'm going to suck at it. Where somebody with a growth mindset will look at the same new activity and think, I can improve at this. 
I can learn from this. I can practice and get better. I probably won't be very good at it at the first, but over time I will get better and there's a lot of room for improvement. It's really what you're saying in your head to yourself and then what actions result from those words you say in your head. I love that. And thank you for the concrete example, like the side-by-side, because I think that really helps to illustrate it. And yeah, I mean, change and growth is hard, but I think it can be less hard if you shift your mindset. That's what I'm, that's what I'm rolling with. (laughs) Yes. I mean, very much so. And, and we know it, you know, kids, kids and adults who have that fixed mindset. We talked about it a little bit before where it's like, if I'm not going to be able to do it well, I'm just not going to try Mm. because they, they don't want to look like the fool. They don't feel like they need to, because they've already said this is the way it's going to be. And they feel like if they, especially if we've given them an, I am, I am, we already told you, you're the smartest, you're the most athletic that if they if that happens and we say it if we if that happens and we say it in that way and they have a fixed mindset you're going to have a child who very likely is going to get away from trying anything that illustrates some weakness or mistake and so we do need to be really conscious of it yeah yeah that's amazing okay robin well We've reached the end of our time almost. And at the end of each show, I share or I ask my guests to share what is called your next edit. This is a super actionable tip. Kind of think of it like a little homework that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening. So in the context of our conversation, I would love for you to share your next edit for listeners. So the next thing that you can do right now is think about the conversations that you have avoided having with your children out of fear, out of feeling like I didn't know what to say, out of feeling like I didn't have all the answers, or just feeling like they can't possibly be ready to have a conversation like this. And Write those down, write the conversations, just be honest with yourself. The ones that you've kind of pushed under the rug or as when I was uh, on a park bench with somebody and they said, my kid's been asking about death. Am I going to die? Are you going to die? And I just changed the subject to who wants ice cream? Mm -hmm. If you're finding that you've done that, this is the time to pull those out again. Now you might be wondering, how am I supposed to do that? And you could say to your child, you know, a couple of weeks ago or a year ago, whatever it might have been, you asked me about death. Is that something you're curious about? Is that something you'd like to talk about? When we want children to be able to come to us and talk to us about what's on their mind, we have to make sure that we're responding and that we're answering their questions or listening to their interpretations. So if you have anything to do, I would say make sure you're going back to the conversations that you may have pushed under the rug and then look at your child's 
coming to you as an opportunity to open up additional conversations. Because once these conversations become much tougher later on in life, you want to have these smaller, less risky conversations with them so that you've already made the inroads that allow them to know for sure that you are somebody they can say anything to and you become their safe haven. Mm. Oh, Robin, I love it so much. Thank you for that. And I have a big smile on my face because I feel like, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but I feel like even the way you started that was so compassionate in the sense of it may have been a conversation from last week. It may have been a year ago, meaning Mm -hmm. specifically, I just want to say it's never too late. And Mm -hmm. even if you feel like you avoided that conversation a while back, you can still circle around to it. So thank you for that, Robin. That was, that was really awesome. Yes. I, I feel like you can circle back and, and if you say something like, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that a different time, or you shouldn't be thinking about that again, you can go back to it and say, Ooh, I didn't respond in the way that I wanted to. So let's open this up again. We all make mistakes, but parenting is the ultimate do-over. You have oh, considerable opportunities to try again. Thank goodness. You do. You do. Thank, thank goodness, goodness indeed. Robin, thank you so much for sharing yourself with me today and with our listeners. This was such a great conversation, and I really appreciate you taking the time amidst launch time. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. I'll do this anytime with you. And thank you to your amazing listeners. I hope they love the book. All right. Take care. Friends, I will for sure be linking up Robin's new book in the show notes. And meanwhile, you'll find those show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life, a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.